Hello, my friends. Welcome back to season two of I'd Rather Be Reading. It is hard to believe that back in early May, this podcast was just a dream. And now we're in season two with guests this season, including Kirk Herbstreet, former Cosmopolitan Editor-in-Chief Kate White, and so many more. What a dream come true. It is great to be back with you today. I hope you caught our between season episode with Dr. Tony Brooks about the war in Afghanistan. And if not, I hope you'll listen to it after you finish this episode up. It is an extremely timely interview for everything that is going on in our chaotic world right now. And I was grateful for his time and for his book. We've been away for about a month or so, and in that time, we've had a lot of new titles drop that I wanted to tell you about. So probably the best book I read that I'm not able to do an author interview for is Made from Scratch by Kent Taylor, the founder of restaurant chain Texas Roadhouse. I read his book. I absolutely adored it. And then, and I'm sorry if this is a spoiler, but apparently I missed it when the news broke earlier this year. I learned that Kent tragically took his own life this past March. I remember telling my producer as I was in the middle of the book that I absolutely had to get Kent on the show. He is irreverent and fascinating, and his book is filled to the brim with sage business advice and wise leadership lessons. By the end of the book, I felt like Kent was my friend. So rest in peace, good sir. My producer and I went out to Texas Roadhouse in your honor and had a drink for you. You sure have built a legendary place. I was deeply disturbed, but also compelled by Julie K. Brown's perversion of justice about the Jeffrey Epstein story. Julie, an investigative reporter for the Miami Herald, doggedly covered this story. This book is well-written and tells the tale of a man who thought money could protect him from punishment and justice. It's a must-read. I also enjoyed this past month, The Power of Nothing to Lose, The Hail Mary Effect in Politics, War, and Business by William L. Silver. And I also enjoyed The Perfect Day to Boss Up by none other than Rick Ross, who gives a masterclass in working hard and never making excuses. For the Housewives fans among us, Dorinda Medley's Make It Nice was a fun end of summer read. And most, if not all of these titles came out in August or the early part of September. So we're going to be talking quite a bit in today's episode about women who dared to go for it. And in that vein, I have two books to recommend that came out in August. The Girls Who Stepped Out of Line, Untold Stories of the Women Who Changed the Course of World War II by Major General Mari K. Eder and Maiden Voyages, Magnificent Ocean Liners and the Women Who Traveled and Worked Aboard Them by Sion Evans. But one of the best books I read this summer was There She Was, The Secret History of Miss America by Amy Singer, which comes out tomorrow, September 7th. I have long been a pageant aficionado. I grew up watching Miss America and wanting to be her and later on actually was a pageant director for a local pageant in my city of Birmingham, Alabama. The Miss America pageant 
turns 100 years old this year and has undergone significant changes recently as it grapples with its relevancy. Does Miss America still matter? We dig into that and so much more in today's episode. Take a listen. Hello, Amy, and welcome to the show. Hello, Rachel. Good to meet you. We were just talking offline about how much I enjoyed the book. I tore through it. And let's clear this up right off the bat. A lot of people don't know the difference between Miss America and Miss USA. So would you explain that to the listeners? The big difference is that Miss America has historically been the pageant that requires talent. That's been the defining difference. Miss America is the oldest one. It's celebrating its centennial this year. It was founded in 1921. And really it is, it wasn't the first beauty pageant, but it was really the pageant that made beauty pageants a thing uh, that inspired so many imitators. Um, Miss USA was actually kind of a break off of Miss America. Uh, in 1950, there was a very extraordinary Miss American named Yolanda Bitspezi, uh, who was a Miss Alabama. Yes, she, she, was. Uh, she won the competition. And then when the sponsor, Catalina Swimwear, asked her to go on the road posing in, in their swimsuits, uh, she's like, nope, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not doing swimsuits anymore. And Catalina was so upset that they pulled their sponsorship from Miss America and they started their own pageant and that's what became Miss USA and Miss Universe. I think that is so fascinating and people confuse the two. If you don't know kind of what you're doing and know the systems, I can understand how that would be confusing, but thank you for that clarification. So mm-hmm. we're, this book is all about Miss America. So talk yeah. us through some key turning points in Miss America's history. I'm thinking Vanessa Williams becoming the first black Miss America. What to you are some key milestones in Miss America's 100 year journey? You know, I think, you know, previously mentioned Yolanda Bit Betsy, uh, her victory, that's kind of when you started to see the Miss Americas define themselves uh, in a way that left a mark on its pageant as we are serious young women who have goals beyond this. Uh, and uh, that kind of earnestness really defined Miss America and separated it from Miss USA as that was emerging as a rival. Um, You know, there was a huge um, uh, rift and and upheaval in the uh, pageant community starting in the late 60s. And my book deals with this a lot. Um, You know, for, for 50 years, the idea of a pageant had really gone unchallenged. It was just, you know, well, of course, this is something that young women do. And then the women's movement arrived. Mm. And uh, that really posed the first challenge to the idea. The first time that anyone really asked, what what are you doing here? What is the swimsuit competition? Why are you asking women to be judged this way? And um, in fact, uh, the women's movement, the modern women's movement really got a start at Miss America. Mm. Uh, there is some very savvy activist women who wanted to make their mark. They wanted to put women's liberation on the radar. And they did this by holding a protest outside the Miss America pageant in 1968. And it was a huge media sensation. They 
they treated Miss America really as a metaphor for how women are treated in society. This led to uh, you know, a protest where they were uh, throwing bras and pantyhose and issues of glamour and cosmopolitan into a trash can. They did not burn these things, but it's what led to the whole bra burner uh, label and mythology. Huh. Uh, you know, I would say that was a big thing. After that, you know, the baby boom hit, you started to see older women enter the pageant and win, uh, express ambitions like going to law school, expressing political opinions, which you had never heard before at Miss America. Uh, certainly Vanessa Williams was a turning point. That was a huge, huge episode. I mean, she wasn't just the first African-American Miss America. She was also dazzling. I mean, yeah. charismatic truly gifted, truly talented. Still is gorgeous. to say. Still is. And she was just an immediate sensation. It was really greeted as a civil rights milestone for victory, which in a way then kind of validated Miss America. It's like, if if this is such a big deal for society, then Miss America must still matter. Uh, but of course, you know, by the end of her year, she was faced with this horrific scandal where Penthouse yeah. Magazine, dug up photos that she had posed for as a 19 year old, never imagining they'd be seen, never quite realizing what they looked like. Um, and and that was that was a scandal that almost almost destroyed the pageant, almost destroyed her career. It was uh, the way she kind of fought back and rebuilt her life and reputation after that uh, is extraordinary. And you know, I think as Miss America's reputation began to slide off the radar, Vanessa Williams became someone that the pageant could point to and be like, look, here's this incredibly talented, successful woman. She was Miss America. And in many ways, she validated it. Uh, you know, other milestones, Heather Whitestone, who was a yeah. Miss Alabama, who was the first uh, Miss America with a disability. She was hearing impaired. And this came about as, you know, the nation was getting in step with the American with Disabilities Act. Uh, and it was a real, a real flashpoint, a real landmark moment. Uh, you know, the, probably the biggest moment in, in the past couple of years, though, which my book deals with a lot, is the um, uh, when Gretchen Carlson, uh, who was a Miss America, a CBS and later Fox host, uh, she became the chair of the organization, and she uh, she uh, initiated a push to get rid of the swimsuit competition, mm -hmm. which. Uh, I think it was, she was thinking, these are changing times. This is just not seemly anymore. How can we have women compete for scholarships and swimsuits? But it created a major rift in an okay. organization that was already fairly weakened. And I would say it hasn't quite recovered from that. There were many in the organization who felt like too much change, too soon, we're losing our identity, we're losing our connection with where we were, uh, yeah. what, on what we were founded on. Yeah. So so let's let's dive into that a little bit more. So as you said, in 2019, we saw the rise of what has been called Miss America 2.0, which is no more swimsuit competition, no more evening gown competition, and no more even being referred to as a pageant. So what are your thoughts on this new model of Miss America? I think it's reflective of how seriously the Miss America organization has taken itself over generations. And I don't, I don't mean that in a diminishing way. Yeah. It's, I would say going back 
whether you whether you look at it from the time of Yolanda Bet Betsy in 1950 or whether you look at it from 1968 when the women's movement first posed a serious challenge, the Miss America organization has always been struggling for to justify itself. Mm. Has always been looking for respectability, uh, and you know that even goes back to the 1930s when they started having talent competitions because they didn't want to be just a swimsuit competition. Mm -hmm. uh, when they started relying on interview more because they wanted to emphasize that this is about charisma and poise and smarts and things like that. It it has always been an organization that has wanted to prove that it's something more. And you know, even going back to the 30s, that was because there were of censorious types who thought that it was sleazy and who wanted to shut it down. Mm -hmm. They wanted to get in good with, uh, you know, respectable people and with churchgoers and things like that. It's, and when you start to hold up your winner as this ideal, you know, there she is, Miss America, there she is, your ideal. Yeah. Which is the song for, for those that I know this that you know the pageant aficionado, but for those that don't know, that's the that's the Miss America crowning Miss America song. song. I could sing it, but I'd break everybody's eardrums. But yeah, once you hold it up to this notion of ideals, then it's just natural that it's an organization that's going to try to grapple and scramble and have long philosophical debates about well, what is the ideal? What should we be looking for? What should we be striving for? Um, I think it's. It's understandable. It's listen. This was not a new idea that Gretchen Carlson brought up. The idea of getting rid of swimsuits. It's something that the organization had been talking about since the early 1970s. Uh, you know, you may remember back in the 1990s, they used to have uh, allow viewers to call in a vote on whether they wanted to keep the swimsuit competition or get rid of it. Mm -hmm. It had been part of the debate for a long time, and I think to 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 many people who, you know, it was just after the, the, the Me Too revelations, mm -hmm. a lot of people in our culture are thinking, you know, what are we asking of young women? What is, you know, are we objectifying young women? Also in fairness, I think, you know, the Miss America organization, the ratings had been dropping for a long time. They mm -hmm. kind of needed to, you know, hit a reset button that would reboot it in a big way to put it back on the cultural radar, you know, by, by dropping the swimsuit competition, Miss America got on the front page of the New York Times. It was a big move, it was a big step. Um, the tension with that though, is that a lot, of the, a lot of the bad feelings and discontent that people had had in the 80s, perhaps 70s and 80s with swimsuits and what are we doing? Are we objectifying women? A lot of that had kind of gone away. And I, I think it's two things. I think, you know, the fitness movement of the 80s and 90s, where suddenly it became very normal for young women to be going to the gym and pumping up and, and uh, it just changed their mentality about parading in a swimsuit. It became more of a workout culture than a diet culture. Uh, the, the women who were going through the pageant these days were basically comfortable with the idea of a swimsuit competition. And that's the other thing. It's like by, by, by this point in its history, if you were someone who was offended or uncomfortable with a swimsuit competition, you probably had turned off the Miss America pageant long ago and you certainly weren't competing in it, which meant yeah. that the organization as it existed in 2018, when this announcement first came about, it was a community of people that 
you know, had made their peace with swimsuits. They were comfortable with it. They saw it as important. And, you know, it's that community that has kind of kept Miss America going during years of declining ratings. So it was a big curveball to throw to people. And mm. I think the idea was that it would lure a bunch of new women into the competition. And it hasn't done that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there is a great quote in the book. There's so many of them, but I'm thinking of one. I believe she was a Miss Mississippi. Wanda Gale Getty. Is she a Miss Mississippi? Wanda Gale Getty, Miss Mississippi, 1983. I love how I I knew you would be able to spit that right out. So she says, quote, there are a lot of girls who don't ever get over not winning, but perhaps it's hardest for those who actually won Miss America. Now, I know you did not say that, but why do you think she, not to get in her head or whatever, but why would, why do you think she would say that? Well, Wanda was competing against Vanessa Williams. That's, that's, that's one thing that, that really sets you in her mind frame. I mean, she, she was a third runner up when Vanessa won. She was very much firsthand in the room seeing what happened there and a close observer of of what these penthouse revelations did to Vanessa. And, you know, it's easy for us to look back now and say, oh, but things turned out fine for her. She had a wonderful career. Maybe she became more famous because of the scandal, but it was a devastating, ugly, horrible thing for a young woman to go through. Mm -hmm. Horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, I think even beyond Vanessa, it's a it's a big thing to have to live up to. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, I talked to some women from the 60s and 70s. Many of these women had difficult times with romantic relationships because it's it's hard to date when you're Miss America. It's a power imbalance in some ways. Uh, it takes them from one dating pool and puts them into another. And, um, you know, they find they intimidate men or they find that men want to date them because they have this image in their head of Miss America and, but they're really just a regular person. Uh, You know, careers, I think, you know, it's, so many women have said it, it it put them in a place where they could all of a sudden reach for things that they hadn't dreamed of before. But you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big burden to all of a sudden have so much potential. Uh, to have so many more opportunities that you hadn't maybe really thought out. And some people are able to take advantage of those. Some people are overwhelmed by them. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's it, it sent some women on courses and trajectories that they hadn't planned for. Uh, and certainly they weren't ready when the ride was over. So it's I think hard it's- hard to put down, you know, you, you end your reign and then what? you know, because <laughs> it's just a yeah. job. And then you, it's, it's gotta be hard for someone that is so young because these women are young women. They're, they're no more than 24 years old and sometimes as young as 17 or 18 years yeah. old. And then it's like, okay, well, we've reached the heights. Now what? Now what? Talked to the late Leanza Cornette about that several months before she, she died. Uh, and she was one of the very vivid Miss Americas from the early 90s, very spunky. She was an AIDS activist. She, um, she really wanted to be famous. She was very open about that. Uh, and it didn't really work out for her, you know? Uh, and she talked a little bit about just the whiplash you have where you're Miss America and that starts to seem normal that everyone turns when you walk in a room, everyone wants to take your picture, everyone wants to interview you and then poof, it's done. Someone else is wearing their crown. 
and now you have to find the next thing. Uh, and, you know, by the time I talked with her, she had found her peace with that, but it's, it's definitely a hard thing. It's, you know, in a way, Miss America is not that unique. There are a lot of people, young people coming up in fame culture who experience variations of this, but I found looking at the Miss America experience was a very kind of um, condensed, intense way of experiencing fame and its ups and its downs. Well, as such, it is its own experience, right? And so do all Miss Americas share kind of a unique sisterhood, sort of like a Miss America sorority of sorts? Do they, are they friendly? Are they literally each other? And this was, this was the biggest revelation for me. You know, I've followed Miss America for 25, 30 years, just a big watcher. Uh, I'd even written about it before. I really did not know until 2018 when suddenly the organization was in crisis. I didn't know that they were all friends. Yeah. That it's, you know, you, you think of them as kind of each representing their own year with their specific hairstyles and fashion choices. And to realize that they, they would all get together for several years, they had a Miss America retreat. Mm. Many of them are very good friends. They're on email chains with each other. They're in private Facebook groups, very involved in each other's lives. And that, that was revelatory to me. In a way, it makes sense. These are women who all have something in common. No one else has had that experience of being Miss America. No one else understands why it matters or what it took. Um, you know, they're also, by and large, you know, energetic, fun, charismatic, high energy people. Like it's, you would expect them to gravitate towards each other. But the fact that they're really such a clan, such a tribe, um, and that played into what happened over, over the past couple of years when there was um, a revelation that the former CEO had been saying unpleasant things about uh, Miss America's in, in private emails. Mm -hmm. I mean, boom, they were, they organized so fast and literally engineered a takeover of the organization, which is what allowed Gretchen Carlson to become, to become the chair. It, you know, it's also what led to the, the feuding that, that prompted her to, to leave then, but it's a, um, it's, it's a complicated dynamic. It's a close core, you know, and what you had too, by virtue of the fact that these women were all talking to each other, were deeply invested in Miss America. Uh, the situation where, you know, the Miss Americas wanted to play a part in running Miss America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the most interesting parts of the book to me, I actually laughed out loud when I read this part, was learning what a clapper was. <laughs> And learning about the rise of pageant coaches, which I, being in Alabama and being, you know, somewhat familiar with the, the Did you know Bill Alverson? Who's that? Bill Alverson. He's, he's one of the best coaches out there and he's in Alabama. I don't, but okay. um, I mean, I'm sure there are some great coaches down here because pageants are a very big deal in, in Alabama and across the South. So tell us, tell our listeners about, first of all, what is a clapper? <laughs> and I, I laughed out loud at that quote. And, um, and also about the rise of pageant coaches and how there's a lot of people that are making a quite a good living being a pageant coach. I, I'm glad you laughed because I laughed when I heard this 
quote in real life. Uh, this is a pageant coach explaining to me that everyone, everyone gets coached. Everyone who's going to Miss America has some level of coaching. And he said, if you don't, then you're just a clapper. What's a clapper? A clapper is the young woman who has nothing to do on stage, but <laughs> clap which, for which the top 10 most <laughs> other than the top 10, right? That's pretty much all you're doing is you're in the background clapping. Mm -hmm. That's right, a clapper. I love uh, that. So I, I think there's always been some level of, of coaching involved with Miss America. I mean, you talk to women who were competing 50 years ago and they would win their, their local pageant and suddenly you know the that pageant director is telling them how to do their hair telling them how to do their makeup showing them how to walk show them how to talk so that they can compete at the miss state pageant and it's the same thing happening you know uh you get to miss state and they're telling you what to do how to walk how to talk uh you know my goodness i talked to one woman who was miss ohio and vanessa williams's year and she didn't have a talent except for art she was a great artist and they're like nope can't you can't show your paintings you have to sing and dance she was not a singer she was not a dancer but they put her through her paces and made her learn how to sing and dance oh wow uh but you know in in recent years you've seen a a basically professional class of coaches emerge not just the volunteers who who run the um who run the local organizations but independent coaches and some some young women hire these people before they've even ever done a single pageant and you know they're um it seems it seems you know a little some people might think it's a little creepy or or something but having sat through some sessions it's like these people are it's it's about how to present yourself Mm -hmm. how to uh how to market yourself how to brand yourself mm -hmm. uh you know they're going beyond okay here's how you should do your hair here's how you should do your makeup saying here's how you should talk about the causes closest to your heart here's how here are the talking points you should have that you should bring up in any interview a lot of people in pageants think that there is a tendency for some women now to sound overcoached the yeah, best coaches Right. I mean, you probably saw some of this. Uh, coaches will argue, though, that if you're coaching them right, that you are really just giving them life skills that go beyond pageantry, that you're teaching them how to think on their feet and, and all that. But, you know, it's interesting when when people first became aware of the the process that goes, the preparations that, that go into it. It was sort of treated a little scandalously. Ooh, look at all look at all the stuff they're doing. Mm -hmm. which is I think because there's a tendency to think oh Miss America is it's supposed to be effortless it's supposed to be pure virtue pure merit oh there's but so much work that goes into course, that of course, of course you know it's it's a sport it's yeah. a competition it's a sport it's People, funny you say that because I've always said that Miss America is uh my Super Bowl I said absolutely. everybody you've got to take this really seriously it's my Super Bowl like <laughs> like I throw Miss America watch parties and that's just my it's my big event of the year and you know it is it is a spectator sport and the sporting metaphor continues to behind the stage the level of preparation uh even mental preparation that goes into it I don't really have a problem with that 
well, I but, think the goal is that it's there's so much work put into it that the best uh, pageant competitors make it look like there was no work done at all right that it was mm-hmm. just easy and seamless and that they just walked it they just said well I think I just will go compete for Miss America today and just walked out there on the stage but I mean the amount of, look I've I've um I mentioned this to you offline. I used to be a local pageant director, even at the local level. And this isn't even, you know, at the state level or at the Miss America national level, the amount of work that goes into preparing for a state pageant is extraordinary. You wouldn't believe it. And so um, it's, but, but the best competitors make it look so effortless and easy. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, though, it's, it's funny because there's still, they want it to seem effortless. That's still part of this, the uh, special sauce. Mm-hmm. As much work as everyone knows is going into it, you still at the end of the day want it to seem effortless. Yeah. And there's, I noticed this in recent years that there's so much talk of authenticity <laughs> and all of this talk of authenticity is very much now on the surface. It's like, oh, listen to how authentic these young women are. And it begins to sound a little crazy after a while, like we're treating authenticity like it's, another performative skill uh-huh uh-huh it's uh-huh. you know we're being yourself is actually the test it's uh. it's 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 a strange business it is a strange business but we love it <laughs> but we love it's it irresistible so yes. yes so what most surprised you while researching the book um as i said before i was most surprised to realize that the former Miss Americas are such a clan and that they are involved with each other, that they are, were so involved in trying to steer the direction of the organization. I'd say, I, I think also the, um, the, the, the cheerfulness, the niceness that I saw at the local and state level mm-hmm. uh, surprised me. There were so many cliches and stereotypes about pageants and pageant women uh and you know listen it's not all sunshine and daisies these are people who are competing against each other yeah but they they all make friends uh they all hang out together they um there's it's it's very much a well considering the fact that there had been so much debate for so long about objectification and you know, putting women on stage and swimsuits and parading to conform to some kind of, you know, ideal of the male gaze. They're very female centric spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, I went to, to one to one little fundraising reception for, for the Miss Virginia organization and the contestants were all there and they all looked amazing and they're all perfectly dressed up. And I'm thinking, where are the boyfriends? <laughs> like, they're, Right. Which is such a dumb thing to say, think, but that's really not the point. I mean, they are, they like hanging out with each other. It's a community. Will, these, it women really will, these women will compete several times in a season just to win the one local title that will get them to the misstate. Mm-hmm. And so they end up competing against the same women over and over but they're not rivals, they're really friends. I mean, it's like, yeah. I remember explaining this to my uncle who was a race car driver and he was saying, I do not understand pageants. And I said, 
listen, it's a community. They're going from place to place. They're uh, seeing the same people and going through the same routine and trying for a personal best. And that's when he said, oh, I get it. It's a sport. Yes, and so just, it is. Just like, just like, you know, if you're doing, you know, masters swimming or whatever, or half marathons and you're seeing the same people over and over, you're not thinking that's my enemy and I want to destroy him. You're thinking, Hey, good to see you again. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a familiar face and not to get too deep into the weeds, but these women, some of them start competing in the Miss Alabama or Miss Alabama. That's, that's where I live. And that's the mm-hmm. world I know the Miss America's outstanding teen program. And so they've known each other since they were young teens. And then they go on to compete in the Miss locals. And so you could know these women. And again, it goes back to nobody knows this experience, but these other women that are going through it with you. And so it does become kind of a sister, even if you never win, even if you never win Miss whatever, Miss New York, Miss Ohio, whatever, and especially if you don't win Miss America, that's an incredibly small mm-hmm. sisterhood in the grand scheme. But you've got me on my soapbox now. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a community yeah. and it's a sisterhood. It's a community. And, and, and I know that the trope is to say that pageants um, are are not empowering and, you know, are chauvinist or whatever. But it's actually very, at its core, it's a scholarship competition. And, you yeah. know, there are women who haven't had to pay one dime for for school all the way up to medical school phds because of what has happened on these pageant stages so you know, one of my, one yeah. of my favorite characters in, in the book is is a young woman who is competing in in miss virginia and she she competed there for about seven years starting when from the time she was about 17 and she was in pharmacy school when i met her and she said that how did she end up being a pharmacist well she was doing pageants and she kept having to fill out forms or do interviews where people were asking her at a young age, what are your goals? What do you want to do? Where do you see yourself doing? And she said that forced herself to think it out at an age when she didn't really have the answer of what she wanted to be when she grew up. This was kind of forcing her to think ahead and, and eventually sort of find a goal. And she was, she was very happy with the program she, she had gotten into and, thinks that she might not have done that if she hadn't kind of been forced to think about her future in that way. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a subculture. And I say that not in a, in a derivative way, but it's a, it's, it's a world, it's a community. These people like seeing each other year after year. Uh, You know, is it a strange hobby to have? Yeah, but everyone's hobby is a strange hobby to have. I mean, it's, it's, it's no different than, you know, the people getting together for, you know, March Madness or for Gardening Club or for, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. It's, it's a, it's this kind of nice in real life space that. It just might have a few more sequins than the other. <laughs> a lot more sequins. Yeah. So, so as we wrap up, Amy, Miss America, as you've said, will celebrate its 100th anniversary in 2022. So I have to ask the question, is Miss America relevant anymore for the modern young woman? Well, actually, the centennial is, is, is upon us. Uh, 2021 is, is, is the centennial. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot planned around that, around that landmark date. Um, is it still irrelevant? I think it's hard is in the right place. Yeah. But I think it's just faced too much competition. It's, 
uh, a younger generation basically doesn't know what it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it has thrived for so long despite TV ratings plunging because there is this intense community that keeps it going. But the truth is, it's the numbers have really shrunk. I think there used to be 70 or 80,000 women across the country who used to compete every year in this. And the official numbers are more like 4,000 now, but everyone thinks it's really much smaller than that. And, you know, I think it, it prospered for so much longer than you would have expected it to. Um, but there are so many other things a young woman can do now. Uh, you know, even if it's just about becoming famous, you know, reality TV and social media offer so many of the kinds of outlets that Miss America used to be mm. for a certain kind of young woman. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say that, you know, it, there, there's a sweetness about it. It's a, uh, a quaintness almost, but it's, it's, it's just not breaking through with a younger generation and it's hard to see that turning around. Yeah, I'm hopeful because there's good there. There's definitely yeah. good there. Yeah, it's, it's a very sweet culture. There's, it's, a very, it's a community that meant a lot to a lot of people. Absolutely, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, great talking with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I strongly recommend getting a copy of this book tomorrow. I enjoyed every single page of it. Well, football season is officially back and thank God for it. And we'll be back next week with none other than Kirk Herbstreet of ESPN's College Game Day to chat about his book, Out of the Pocket. Have a great week.